Well, Jeff, welcome. Welcome again. Um, <laughs> and thank you for joining me on the podcast. Um, a cheers again, because I don't know what happened. I'm like, did your phone die or did you hang up? But it is, <laughs> it is all good. It is all so, so good. So yes, thank you again for joining me. Ain't not a problem. I'm excited for this. And cheers to you. Yes, cheers. Yeah, another cheers. I love it. Okay, so um, pretty much uh, we can just get started and kind of talk about um, your story and uh, a little bit of, you know, where you came from, um, what you're doing now and what you're looking to do in the, in the near future. Um, any experiences along the way or anything that you feel worthy of sharing, please do. Okay, yeah, we can uh, get started. It, uh, for me, uh, my story starts back in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I was born in Houston until I was like two years old. And then my family moved us out to Kansas City. Um, I went to high school uh, in a, a school called William Christman. But before high school, uh, we could talk about my, my, my growing up. And so mm-hmm. as a child, the streets of Kansas, Kansas City, whether, you know, people have been there or not, it's actually a lot more rough than I think people will give it credit for. Um, I know there's some headlines that talk about the inner city, Kansas City, being called Killer City. If you go up the road a little bit in St. Louis, um, you know, there's there's riots over there with the, the things that happen with the social justice thing. And, you know, St. Louis has its own um, notoriety for being a kind of a, a bad place, so to speak. So, right. Uh, the Midwest kind of can get buck a little bit. That's <laughs> <laughs> the fact that to say, um, whenever I was younger, let's say around five years old, five or six, a lot of the kids my age were in those streets. Um, you know, some get into gang activity, yes, at that young of an age, some getting killed or hurt um, into drugs, etc. And so for me, um, a huge part of what allowed me to kind of escape all of that, so to speak, was actually video games. And so... Uh-huh. I created video games and I've been quoted as saying video games saved my life. Um, I've been playing games for as as young as four years old, um, lifelong gamer. And so, yeah, the gaming world provided like a virtual sanctuary of sorts for me. Um, right. okay. Yeah, yeah. My mom, she got kind of caught up in some of the, uh, the, the crack epidemic of the 80s. And so, you know, that provided its own challenges to me in my, in my childhood, me and my sister. But, um, like I said, I dove into playing games and after, you know, gaming, uh, basketball follows suit when I was 13. Everywhere I went, people would say, you're so tall, you should play ball, you should play ball. Uh, <laughs> I'm 6'5". Um, I had never really played basketball up until that point, uh, but I did go try out, um, tried out, the, made the team. The coach was so enamored by me. He actually told me, he was like, yo, like, you have no idea how good you could be at this game and to that credit, he wanted to work with me. And so my coach at eighth grade would stay after practice with me for an hour a day each day uh, working on uh, basketball. And then I would go home and work for another like two hours or so by myself. This is like the whole first year of basketball. And then that trend wow. lasted for the first three years of my basketball career. Um, and so, yeah, exciting times. Uh, fast forward um, through high school, basketball pays for my education. I get the pay to play after I graduate college. Uh, I got hurt multiple times, so that, you know, kind of steered me away from NBA or anything like that. And then my relationship right after college steered me away from uh, overseas basketball, which is funny enough, it's all right. I kind of got this, <laughs> this um, what is it called, pattern to my life. I'm doing something, and, like, I'm chasing a girl, and then they'll take me down the path, and then I'll get focused again, and I'm chasing the girl. A whole nother day. Um, but uh, after college, um, pay, pay to play. And then um, I went into store management for Blockbuster for a little bit, used my business management and marketing degree. And then um, my sister, who actually was awarded an academic scholarship to go to Stanford, straight out of Independence, Missouri, she had been there for about wow. four years now. Yeah, um, some brilliance over here, black excellence. Uh, she was telling me like, yo, Jeff, you gotta come to California. Like it will fit you so much better than like Kansas City. Like it'll be an eye opener. You just have to come out here. And so, uh, I kind of started taking it seriously, I want to say maybe around 2014. Uh, but I knew that if I was going to make that move, first off, I'll have to get my current girlfriend at the time, uh, convince her to come with me. We had been together like four years at that point. And then I actually wanted to have like a job working in technology that allowed me to hit the ground running. I had always been extremely excited about technology 
But um, in Kansas City, those schools, um, they didn't really have access to heightened levels of tech education. And so I always had to like take like the one-on-one class and that was as far as it goes. And so my um, curiosity for it would have to always be stifled, um, so to speak. And so I made it two things. I wanted my girl to come with me and then I wanted to get a job in technology. And then I had in my mind, I wanted to save X amount of money. Uh, quickly, my sister told me straight up, like, yo, it was like six months later. She was like, yo, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. If you're waiting for money to make it to where you're going to feel comfortable enough to move out of Kansas City to California or anywhere, it's just not going to happen. Like, that's not the way the brain works. And this is a piece of advice that I'll never forget. She was like, yo, if you're going to do it, you got to take a, a leap of faith and do it. But waiting until you feel secure enough, that feeling really never, ever comes. And so I took that to heart, you know. I listen, I learn. And so I was like, okay, cool. If I make a move, it ain't got me enough money to save up, but I at least want a job in technology specifically. And so uh, I go and I'm sitting there. Actually, I think later that night, there was like this commercial for like the Cisco Networking Academy. And for anyone who's listening who might know anything about Cisco, it's basically the technology that allows for like um, video calls to be made from peer to peer. And it's also the technology that allowed companies to scale up their internet offerings um, massively. And so Cisco is networking equipment that a company will then impart the routers and switches to allow them to do what they're doing at a much wider scale um, globally. And so it turns out that there was a Cisco networking academy like 15 minutes down the road from um, my apartment in uh, Kansas City. And so I enrolled in like the, the following uh, semester, which is like two months out. And so for the first two months, I was kind of like doing my own independent research into like what Cisco is and all that. And I just jumped straight into the courses um, that ended up taking me, uh, I think it was like four months, two semesters um, in order for me to finish it. I was in class with people who had been doing this type of stuff for 15 years, 20 years. And um, the way my brain works, if I wrap my mind around something and if I like kind of like tell myself like this is what I want to do, then I'm able to learn things really fast. And so throughout the class, People make remarks like, oh, my God, like your brain is like a sponge. How are you picking this up so easily? They haven't done this for years. It was tough for them. But for me, it was easy. I don't know. It just made sense. A part of me thinking back now is like, yo, it's probably destiny. It was kind of like I'm on an easy route because like life knew where I needed to go. And this was just like one step right. only in the way. And so long story short, four months out of the out the gate, I finished that up. Got like a 9, 10 out of 1,000 on the CCNA test. It's supposed to be one of the toughest tests for me. It wasn't that difficult. And then I had my um, first tech job within like two weeks. At that point, I ended up quitting my uh, managerial job um, at this, uh, what is it, like a guitar center, distribution center. I was working like a nice shift year for that. And I actually quit that job and it doubled my income overnight. So I went from making somewhere like $15 an hour being a receiving manager in Kansas City to making like $30 an hour um, being a, what they call a network technician uh, for this company, Ericsson, um, that was contracted through Sprint. I worked in that position. Oh. Go ahead. So I was going to say, yes, wait a minute. <laughs> this is a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. First, I want to be like, amazing. Congrats to your sister with Stanford. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you have covered a lot of ground. <laughs> so let's just back it up back you were saying to 2014 and how you were getting into these tech fields and then things like that so where did where did guitar center fit in in all of that because you breezed past that i'm like oh guitar center we spent many days at guitar center because my dad would always like be at guitar center and he loved it there um you know he's a musician he's a local musician and we would just spend days there like he would like test out all the instruments and all of that but what exactly were you like you mentioned guitar center what's the connect with that yeah for sure and then you'll have to uh catch me and slow me down my brain really be on some like (laughs) 10 thoughts a minute uh type vibe but Listen, um, I couldn't even use the you are doing a mile a minute. I had already assessed that I needed to tell you that you are doing 85 miles a minute right now. Yeah. You know, I'll slow it down. Uh, maybe it's the Cabernet Sauvignon that's got me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Guitar Center. I'll take another sip just to slow it down. <laughs> guitar Center comes into play. Um, I was a store manager for Blockbuster uh, for four years. These times. Uh, let me get out of here. Let me think. I think from like 20, hmm, like maybe 2011 to 2015, something like that. 
I was a store manager at Blockbuster. And then um, whenever they started closing those stores down uh, nationwide, um, I had the opportunity to either continue my tenure as a store manager there. They really loved me. I took the store I was at from like eighth place all the way up to like, I think the top two or one store um, once I got hired on. And we kept that position for like two years straight. And so they were like, yo, like trying to move me to other stores. But I really have built a connection and a relationship with all of the customers that used to come through there and my employees as well. And so I really couldn't take that kind of a heartbreak low key because um, I kind of saw the trend for where Blockbuster was going. Um, it was bad times. Um, honestly, their management at the upper levels uh, was uh, arrogant. Um, they were like dominating the game of entertainment and movies for 35 years. And I think that the story was the guys from Netflix came along and was asking for like an investment. They wanted to do, like a joint venture with Blockbuster. At the time, Blockbuster was like thinking at the, at the upper levels. No one is going to sacrifice the in-store experience for watching movies at home. And so for those reasons, I'm out on some like Shark Tank type vibe. And um, so the, <laughs> the, Netflix, <laughs> the Netflix guys ended up having to go and like raise the money themselves with their own channels. And then we kind of saw what happened. And then fast forward four years later, now Blockbuster is closing stores nationwide. And Jeff is like jumping shit like I'm out. And so the jump shit was me going over to Guitar Center. I had the opportunity to go straight into management on the receiving dock. So it was a guitar center um, distribution center. Um, mm -hmm. It was in Independence, Missouri. And so basically I had a crew of like, what is it? Um, I want to say 15 to 20 people. And then we was working like the whole Thursday through Monday, a, a trash shift. Honestly, my, my first overnight shift ever, it was like 8 p.m. to like 6 a.m. or something like that. It was just uh, annoying. But um, right, yeah, I did that for about a year. And then after that, around that year is whenever my sister was like in my ear, get told you to move. And then I was right. told to teach my, send myself back to this networking academy, which is kind of like a self-taught solution to go to the CCNA. So that's the guitar center story. Oh, no, that's amazing. So I'm sorry to uh, digress you right quick, but um, uh, so back to what you were saying. So you were somewhere that uh, you were you were further than the guitar center, but I did have to mm -hmm. take a a, a little uh, pit stop really quick. So, yeah. um, so right where the center, it's, it's it's like that inflection point that I'll never forget. It was my first ever technology job. I was fresh off of actually. There's a lesson to be learning here. So right after I finished out that networking academy and I blew through that, and then it was time for me to actually start. Uh, myself to take the CCNA. There was a two month period of time to where I had finished the, the academy, but I didn't take the cert test because A, I was kind of like riding high and I was excited. And then B, um, honestly, a lot of times in life, people tell you, like, yo, set goals or to be like, set a date. And then this is the first time in my life that I chose to do that because I was uh, thinking, like, I'll take it whenever I want to. I'm good. The class was easy. Everyone's singing my praises. I was in, the, like, in my head like that. But a month passed and I didn't take the test. And so I started taking like practice tests online. My scores was going from like 95% correct. And after a month later, it's like 82%. I was like, yo, what the heck? Ooh. And it started to slide. And so then right. I started, I'm like a perfectionist. So I'm like, yo, I'm not about to go take this CCNA test and then pay like, what was it, like, I want to say 400 bucks to take it um, if I'm not going to like, like blow it out the water. And so then. Tell us what the, what the CCNA, what is that? It stands for Cisco Certified Network Associate. So okay. It's a and this, just as a side note, when you were saying Cisco, and you, mm -hmm. I know you were giving the insight earlier, what's really interesting is y'all might have this as well, but uh, Cisco out here is S-Y-S-C-O, and it's Cisco okay. Foods. So when I hear people talk about Cisco, I am like, Cisco Foods? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is that? I, clearly, it's not the same. Or, it's not the same. Um, right. Cisco Foods is like those big but old But you're saying C. Is Cisco with a C? Yeah, Yeah, it's a technology. Yes, I've seen that as well. Okay, okay. Good clarification there. I'm glad you said that. Because I was like, Cisco Foods, baby. This is Cisco Systems. It's a networking hardware company. Okay, I'm on it. I'm on it now. If anybody from that company hears this, yo, listen, I was not comparing out to the Cisco food company at all. I was <laughs> no, not at all. That. It was more so <laughs> me not being like on top of my game with it, realizing that there's a Cisco and a Cisco. Like, right. <laughs> not to be confused with the thong song either, but that's right at all. Because the whole time we keep saying that Cisco, if we said it <laughs> one more time, I was legit about to make a reference. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't get me tech assassinated, yo, Cisco in San Francisco. Uh, I'm a huge fan, so. Um. 
Yeah, no. Um, and so the lesson to be learned was that basically my scores would slide on the practice test. And then I think my sister or something, no, what was it? Someone told me straight up, like, yo, just set a date and, and then take the test. In my mind, I'm like, yo, what's the date got to do anything? These test scores are sliding, yo. And they're like, yo, just set the date and you'll see. And so lo and behold, I set the date for like three weeks out. And then I don't know what happened, but my brain just got like locked into tunnel vision on that date. And I think I just did whatever it took to make sure that like I was gonna be ready. And by the time the day come, that's when I just like blew it up the water. Nine, 10 out of a thousand, finished like 10 to 15 minutes to spare on this like super tough time test. But the power of setting the date and the power of like putting your goals in front of you and like making like an outline for yourself, like that stuff is real. Um, I think it's real from like a psychological perspective, but um, so yeah, that works. And then after I got certified there, two weeks after the certification, there's like tech recruiters hitting me up. I updated my resume, right? And then I got hired on at this um, company called Ericsson, who was contracted through yes. Sprint, the main Sprint company. They do more than phones. They do like a lot of things. Um, and I was uh, joining to help them as a network technician. So hmm. that's I'm familiar kinda... with Ericsson, the actual Ericsson this time. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> um, I lasted all about six months on the Ericsson team and this is like a trend with me like I don't know it's my brain or whatever it is but like I tend to write rise to the top and everything I do I think it's because like I take things a lot more serious than pretty much everyone else and I'm willing like put the time effort and energy into like maximizing whatever I do that's like the way my brain works but I can't stop it and so after six months I was given the chance to interview with the Sprint company directly uh, to join like their national network engineering team mind you I've been in technology for six months uh, just got certified uh, six months prior. And so I went into the interview. They love me to the point where they're like, yo, it's supposed to be a three-part interview. What we're going to do is basically waive the other two interviews. And then this position is supposed to have a five-year minimum requirement of experience to join the team. We're going to contact HR and get you and see if we can uh, have them join our team right now. Uh, wait about a week and a half, two weeks. They call me back and like, yo, HR cleared it. You're basically going to jump shit from Ericsson and come and work for Sprint uh, directly. And so that's how I went from six months in the game to almost like a five-year head start in networking to joining the Sprint um, national network engineering team. And then we're doing something where we're like basically taking, it's going to be funny too, unless you're like technical, <laughs> like a technical person, people going to roll their eyes. But we were basically going away from Cisco coming at the time to Aruba. Aruba's like a competitor. Um, it's like wireless cloud. Uh, electronics and whatnot um, and I did that for about a year and a half and then within that time I had a recruiter then start looking for jobs for me in California I lied and said that I lived in LA I'm not a proponent of lying at all but I have a point for chasing your dreams uh, and during that time I took three flights out to LA I interviewed with uh, this Disney company which I was excited about I interviewed with like Riot Games I'm a huge gamer as y'all know and so like that would have been a dream come true I barely missed that and then the third interview was uh, with Boeing and um, ended up uh, um, getting hired on with them over a phone call uh, from Kansas City on Thursday. Uh, they were like, yo, we see that your address is here in downtown LA, so it should be no problem for you to join our team and come to orientation on Monday. And I was like, yeah, of course, not, a, not at all. And I hang up the phone, I'm screaming and shouting, oh my God, it worked, it worked, it worked. And I'm like, yo, I gotta pack up this whole house and I gotta get to California. And so I left on a Friday night and then hit a 24 hour road trip. I uh, ended up in LA uh, Sunday, um, like at like 11 p.m. And I was there for Monday orientation. I didn't get a chance to say bye to my friends and family though, but that's how fast things was moving at that point in time. But Well, clearly, yeah. And it was right up your speed because you move fast and as the day. So that was only appropriate. Um, yeah. And also I feel like maybe it wasn't so much a lie. Like once you visited LA three times, like back to back, are you not living in LA at that point? Like, I don't, I mean, I feel like, man, you know, <laughs> it, it's up in the air. It, it, it could be considered as that. The three visits to L.A. was literally like tech recruiters like, yo, we got a position for you at Disney. They need you there Wednesday at 7 p.m. for an interview. We see that you live in L.A., so just show up. And I'm in Kansas City and I book a flight to L.A. <laughs> I fly into L.A. and then I go to the interview and then I fly back home the next day. And then. Four days later, they're like, oh, yeah, we also got your Again. interview at Riot Games. And then I'll fly back Riot. in. Again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Wow, man. I mean, it's not really wild. Uh, I'm just committed, honestly. So No, I mean, that that's, that's amazing. Um, I think that that is a, wow, you're on a fast track. And also that 
the just the way you breeze past that I'm still like I'm still trying to I'm a skimmer when I read but how you moved through all of those points in your life I'm still processing uh like five points ago but it is all good because I mean that is that that's what we're here for like that is all this is what this is about is like your moves and what you're you know what you were doing and what got you there so yeah that I feel like was a very um accurate portrayal of what you did because I see how quickly it came about and I see how quickly you conveyed it and and yeah I appreciate that so um where are we at now with your timeline tell me yeah so I want to preface it by saying uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I've explained to you is like the prologue of a book <laughs> so it's like yes and I gathered that I was like <laughs> at this point I said well you must be saying it in this way because that's just like the backstory like I already yeah. I already like decided that they, clearly that was the backstory <laughs> so now we can get to the meat and potatoes like that is what I figured what was happening as I'm thinking about it it's like this might be a part like a two part theme because if that yeah. was fast then things are about to speed up <laughs> for this part one and then like they go into like hyper speed for like once the pandemic hits until now and so do not hyper speed it let's just keep it at the same speed but still because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not like yeah i'm still trying to like you know process and gain all of this information personally so don't hyperspeed it literally, but yes, please continue. Please tell us. I got you. So now at this point, Jeff Ivory has now made it to California. That 24-hour okay. road trip was filled with a lot of drama. It was filled with some tears. There's like a, a catalog Facebook message that I sent that was like <laughs> like five thousand, like always like maybe like two thousand characters of me just thanking everybody in my life because I didn't get to tell them bye whenever I left. It was like my friends and my family. And then like me and my ex, I kind of mosquitoed past that, but like we ended up having a split because she wasn't willing to make the move with me. She was like a small town girl. She wanted to stay close to her family. I'm more trying to face my dreams and go like build like this innovative company and go travel the world and she really just wanted to stay close to the people you know saying they're raising and everything and so right. you know yeah, it's tough. yeah. And it is what it is and so i sent this whole message i'm driving i had never side note i had never driven like longer than like three hours in any direction ever in my life <laughs> it's like kind of like how i am though i'll just jump in and i'm like yo let's go and i'm like okay 24 hour road trip like okay easy right <laughs> i'm just driving and driving <laughs> It was, so you thought every time you get in a car, it's either a regular commute <laughs> or a road trip. Little did you know. Yo, it's on the all East good. Coast, we all drive. On the East Coast, <laughs> I've driven, I mean, by the age of 17, I had driven 13 hours, you mm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's not a thing. Right. Mm-mm-mm. That's yeah. right. <laughs> after that, because after that 24 hours, once I landed in California, I was like, yo, I'm never dropping again. So, again, right. <laughs> going to retire yeah, I don't even need to touch a gas pedal. My foot does not need to touch a gas pedal. I would not be disappointed <laughs> at all. Like, yeah, I, I just retired that skill for my life because that was not fun. Yeah, it um, is. Yes, yeah, so I'm in California. Um, my sister actually was nice enough to let me like live on her couch for the first six months once I got out here. And so those first six months was actually interesting. My first time really being in Cali to actually stay and like look around. And then um, I was having to commute to Long Beach, which is where the Boeing headquarters was in Long Beach. They started me off as like, what is something like a network technician one or something like that. That didn't last long. And then um, two months after that, I was actually um, in LA whenever like the video game Pokemon Go launched. And so Pokemon Go was like this mobile game. Yeah, Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so like thousands of people like out in the streets chasing these invisible monsters. People was like going to the pier. It was crazy. And so that was two months when I got to LA. So I'm still getting acclimated with my, there's like a major tech job at Boeing now. It's like the big leagues. And then um, I'm over here like exploring LA and I was doing like bar crawls and stuff just trying to like get acclimated. And then Pokemon Go hit and I saw an article that came out that was in New York actually. And there was this kid who had organized a Pokemon Go bar crawl in New York somewhere. And so I'm in LA and I'm like, yo, Pokemon Go bar crawl, that sounds fun. And I typed into the like the uh, internet on Google, like, yo, Los Angeles Pokemon Go bar crawl. Cause I wanted to go to one. And for the first time in my life, 
no results was found on Google. I'm like, bro, Google knows everything. What you mean? And so I went to Facebook and then because the kid in New York was like, yo, he put up a Facebook page and overnight he had like 300 people say they're going to go and he was just doing it for his friends and family and it got so much bigger than that. So I go to Facebook and I'm like, yo, Pokemon Go, Los Angeles. And then no pages on Facebook was found. So I kind of side-eye the internet and I'm like, create page. <laughs> Los Angeles Pokemon Go bar crawl and it's put it up. And I'm like, yo, the dude was like, yo, 24 hours, it worked for him. I'm like, yo, let's see what happens. And so I'll put it up and let's leave it. I wake up in the morning to 264 people on that Pokemon Go, like, was it Los Angeles Pokemon Go pub crawl saying, yo, this looks amazing. We're going to go. This is awesome. I've only been in LA two months. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I've been to bar crawls. So I know that you need multiple places that are walking distance from each other. So what do I do? I go to Google and I'll put up like a virtual map of LA because I don't know nothing about the city and then I'm like okay cool I'm over here like zooming into areas to see where like, all the bars is at and then I land on like what Hollywood was an area then there's like Santa Monica and there's like Culver City or something like that and so I start calling the, uh, the bar owners and I'm like hey yo um, I'm organizing a Pokemon Go bar crawl in your area and I was wondering if you would like to be a part of it we have about 200 people who are interested is, does this sound like something you want to do and they're like yeah for sure and I'm like surprised I'm like oh yeah of course you do um, would you be willing to offer uh, like any food or drink specials for the people who attend? They're like, yeah, you need anything else? I'm like, uh, nice. yeah, how about <laughs> literally, I'm like, yeah, how about food? Uh, how about like uh, some type of food special? Well, like, yeah, we can do themed drink for you guys. I'm like, cool. Anything else? I'm like, um, yeah, obviously uh, costume contest. And they're like, sure. And then so anyways, long story short, I called like 30 places out of the 30, no BS, 28 of them are like, they're in. And so Ooh. then I have to like, narrow it down and so i narrowed it down to uh six places in santa monica uh we organized what free drinks at five of the six um half price uh appetizers at like two of them a costume contest at the last one it was like super dope and then i took it a step further so i was still commuting to boeing and so i would literally on my lunch breaks um would go into like the conference room i was calling like corporate offices like subway i got them on board pizza hut Dominoes, wow. they're doing things like, yeah, if your people come in with a wristband, you can get like a 20% off your food here. Dominoes is like, if they come in, you can get like a buy one, get one free, like all of these things. And so I had like 20 restaurants giving us deals, and I had like each of the bars, maybe have like an hour, all having like their own special. And so I ended up charging like $25 for a ticket. I had never done anything in entrepreneurship outside of build a website with me and my sister. We were trying to do this KC delivery service that we wasn't able to get off the ground because she went back to school. Um, but once I lived in LA, that two months, I literally went from like technologist at Boeing to like entrepreneur doing like a bar crawl thing for the gaming community. Uh, and long story short, I ended up having like 225 people come out. Each of them paid around like $25 per to come. So I made like $5,000 over the course of like one day, like six hour event. And each Absolutely. of the bars, it was dope. Each of the bars we went to, they made anywhere from like 3000 like 7000 during an hour that those 200 people was there. So they was like, yo. Yeah. Come talk back whenever you want. Adopter, like huh? you invented that shit. I said, talk about an early adopter. You invented that. <laughs> no, it was crazy. No one ever done that in LA. It was sick. You know, you see pages start popping up after the fact, but I already moved on to bigger and better things. Um, so I made oh, friends cool. with all of the bars uh, that was involved, and then actually this is where um, um, my partnership with David Buster started. So I was a, uh, you know, was this like a week, uh, maybe like three or four days after my event. I'm hyped up. The people there were like, yo, this is the most amazing thing ever. It was super dope. And then I get a call from like the director, um, regional manager for Dave and Buster's. And was like, yo, uh, we saw what you did in um, Santa Monica for the Pokemon Go bar crawl thing. Would you like to do something similar here at Dave and Buster? And I'm like, how'd you get this number? And then I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was about to ask. I was like, I'm not on social media, but how did you get the number? <laughs> to this day, I promise you, I still don't have any idea how they got the number, but uh, maybe it's like on the flyers. So on my event, right? It was like contact Jeff for like more information. Um, and then, um, so I ended up uh, organizing a, uh, what was called like a poking tournament at Dave and Buster's within two weeks after that. Um, for that, it was dope. So for anyone who was like, you know what I'm saying? I'm in my 30s at this point. So, Pokemon, when it first came out, it was like the God Em Catch Em All song, super dope. And so literally, I'm um, planning out this event, and this white guy calls on the phone, and is like, hey, do you know who I am? And I'm like, bro, you didn't tell me your name yet. <laughs> He's like, yo, I'm Jason Page. I'm like, oh, cool, Jason Page. I don't know who you are. He's like, well, if you don't, you should. And I'm like, uh, okay. 
And he was like, why don't you Google my name? And so I Googled Jason Page while he's on the phone. And I'm like, oh, this says that you are the original singer of the Pokemon theme song. He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's dope. He said, I see you're doing some Pokemon themed event at Dave and Buster's. He's like, yo, I would love for uh, you to have me be a part of it. I'll come out and I'll perform and all this stuff. And I was like, hmm, that could be interesting. I'm always looking for added value. I'm like, sure, let's do it. And so he ends up joining my second event. He comes through with his management team. And then we just had like a super dope event. It was like a mar. It was like what was it? Like a Pokemon themed fighting game called Pokemon on one end. And then we're doing like uh, what was it? There was like some Mario. Wow, I forgot. It's been a while. That's my five years. Uh, some Mario Kart themed side games on the other end. I just re- just create this the dopest thing in my mind and making it come to reality. It's super dope. And we had like 150 people come out to that. This dude was like signing autographs. He like released like a a warp mirror for his new video that was coming out because he was trying to make a big move for the Pokemon Go movement. It was still fresh. And so I had like the original um, Pokemon theme song singer come out and join me. And then me and him ended up doing like uh, four events back to back over the next course of like five months. And so, yeah, I get to L.A. I'm going to Boeing. And then after two months, I organized a gigantic bar crawl in Santa Monica. And then I've done five successful events from that time leading all the way up until November. And so that's literally like chapter one of how like I transitioned to California. Just hit the ground running. Yes. Um, that is an understatement because <laughs> you hit the ground flying. Um, that is amazing. So that was chapter one. Yeah. You, you want to get into chapter two? Because once again, like I'm still like catching up on everything and just like <laughs> taking everything in. You know, I'm trying to be the sponge that you were, that they, you, you know, yeah. they were enamored by your sponge ability. But mm-hmm. to be real, um, you have done so much and said so much, which is super amazing. And again, exactly why we're here. But yeah, I am still catching up in my mental. So wherever you want to go next in this conversation, I am just going to follow your lead. All right, bet. So something interesting happens after that last event. This um, I hosted this uh. Um, what was it? It was a Halloween roof party, Halloween rooftop party uh, that coincided with uh, the Los Angeles Comic Con event. So, Los Angeles Comic Con was doing an event, and then I organized an event right across the street from them at the convention center downtown. It's where we was on this rooftop, it's where we had everyone dressing up in costumes. Jason Page was still involved at this point, and this was said to be my biggest and baddest event of ever. So we was actually uh, projected to have upwards of 2,000 people come out. We had two buildings rented out next door to each other. One was a rooftop. It was like this Mexican restaurant. I had hired like, okay, this is a cool story. So um, whenever you're like organizing events and stuff, I'm not like a legitimate like event planner. I really am just like this entrepreneur who just like we figure things out. And I promise you like my creativity was what I was using to make all of this happen. And so for that event, for the first time, it's so funny. I actually went onto Craigslist because I needed like <laughs> I needed brand ambassadors. And I think it's really important <laughs> for anyone who's trying, who's trying to like start their own company. Yo, like I promise you, like it's not like go read a book and then follow it by the rules and then all that stuff. And that's how it works. It's really not like that. Like it really is like you see a problem and then you think in your mind how you can solve the problem with the resource you have. And so it's like I'm making money from these events, but at the same time I'm having to like do things like purchase equipment. I'm having to like purchase like any things we're gonna give away. Um, like uh, there's like a lot of other costs that are associated. And so like I didn't have like a super ton of money to like go contact some brand ambassador agency who's gonna charge me an arm and a leg. So what I did do is I went to Craigslist and I was like, "Yo, uh, looking for brand ambassadors for a Halloween costume party," and I was like, "Yo." We'll pay $40 an hour, and it was only like three hours. I was to say, we'll pay $40 an hour. Please send a resume and uh, what I say in pictures of you in costume because it is a costume event. You're having to dress up, right? And so I create like this Craigslist article. And literally within like 30 minutes, I get like five messages back. I guess $40 an hour was like a lot to them or whatever. I'm like, dang. Um, five messages back, it's like people from like all parts of California who said they'll drive out to come do it and so then i have to like start organizing like these like impromptu interviews with these people and so long story short we had over 27 people submit for the three positions of brand ambassadors that i needed and so i was able to pick like some very like ambitious kind of like attractive people who look good in costume but also who have like this like hustle mentality i just started like interviewing them on the phone and asking them like 
how would you do in a situation where strangers are coming to you and all this stuff. And so I was able to get my brand ambassadors for this rooftop Halloween event. Um, I'm building up to say I was super excited and I was like expanding my operations and we was about to go get $10,000 out of this and it's about to be sick. And so I had the brand ambassadors literally uh, pay for their ticket to go into Comic-Con. They're passing out flyers. They're inviting people over to the after party at the rooftop. I had to pay the DJ to come through. He's on a DJ set all up top. I had like planned out like drink specials with the venue to order like anyone who was going to come with us. We get like uh, half off their drinks that they had a wristband. We're going to have like a special guest performance. It was this whole thing. Long story short, Comic-Con announces in the convention center that they're doing an official Comic-Con after party. So I did not know this. I'm over across the street. I'm just waiting for my brand ambassadors to come and I just know it's on pop. And so after Comic-Con ends and I see the street starts to empty, I'm like, yo, like, we getting some people trickling up in here, but like this place is supposed to be packed. What happened? They're like, oh yeah, you didn't hear? Um, um, Stan Lee was actually live at the time. He was like, yo, Stan Lee said that uh they're gonna be doing like an after party that's official for Comic-Con people and then everyone who was in attendance can come. And I'm like, dang, that sucks. And so majority of people went to that. So my event ended up breaking even. This is like the first time I didn't make no money. So break even still seemed like, right, like you didn't fail. To me, it was a huge failure because to me, I had my hopes up on like making like 10,000. And so another lesson is like, I tell people all the time too, when I'm talking, like expectations can kind of be like the main thing that can set people up for like a fall. Like whether you're expecting you to talk to this person about a job opportunity, you expect they're going to say yes, or you're expecting a no, Either way it goes, if you go into it with some type of expectation, it can set you up for like failure because honestly, when you're expecting ahead of time, it's all virtual, it's not real. And so I was like, I'm gonna make $10,000. What happened was I made $125 total, but people still came out, everyone said a good time. We had like 180 people come through, it was dope. Like it was cool, but um, that sent me into a spiral for the first time in my life to where I, I was burnt out. So the event ended in like the next morning, I'm looking back on the five months of me moving to LA. I'm over here. had called over 100 different CEOs and was doing all this stuff. But I promise you, like, me thinking about making another call or sending another email made me, like, sick to my stomach. And I'm, like, a high-motor person, whether it's through basketball. I mean, I'm, I just like to play in five different leagues every single week. We're playing in two and three different parks everywhere I go. Like, everyone knew me from hoop. Like, like, it was, like, that's how I am. Like, I don't stop. And then I got to that point in my life after this, and I was like, dang, like, I couldn't call nobody. I couldn't email nobody. I didn't want to do nothing. I just wanted to just chill. And that burnout process, and it's real, man. That lasted for 11 months. Yeah. <laughs> 11 months, I could not even do anything. Did not want to do nothing. It was crazy. It was like uh, trying to start your car outside, and you're, like, clicking it, and it's like, no, 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 no. The just battery won't start. is dead. Yeah. Yep. No, Done. burnout is very real. Yeah, so um i never really felt that but i'm a huge proponent like my mentality is pretty strong and like i preach like perspective like persistence like all of these things are important mentally i was like, okay cool i'm burnt out and so i was like instead of me like literally continuing to do events i started to think during this 11 months i was like okay cool like why am I burnt out? I did assess this. And I was like, okay, cool. You're doing everything. Like, I'm still doing most of this by myself. Like, it's crazy. It sounds crazy, but I'm organizing everything. I'm making all the calls. I'm setting up all of the things. I'm going in person. I'm literally hiring the brand and bachelor on Craigslist. I'm literally setting up all of the deals. I'm printing out all of the tickets. I'm setting up all the event rights. I'm still running social media, which I had to go online into the eight-hour boot camp. You know, there's like PC you don't put in there. But like, in order to advertise all these events on the first one, it ain't like they just show up, right? So like on that first one, 200 people say they're coming but what i had to do was keep posting into that group and then i also need to learn how facebook ads work so that i can send out targeted advertising advertisements to a certain demographic of people to entice them to actually come to the event so i took an eight-hour boot camp on facebook ads and i learned the ins and outs of how to target how to create an audience target the audience how do you put together ads that are actually uh convert how do you literally do like a automated campaigns where you can do posting they'll post on your behalf all of these things that it took for me to take my 350 dollar facebook ad budget and turn it to five thousand dollars in one day it wasn't just uh you put it up there and it went it was like a lot of stuff i had to teach myself how to do 
And so there's a pattern with everything I do. It's like I will literally take the time hours on end, whether it's me playing basketball five hours a day, every single day for three hours to become the best in the area or the best in the region over three years after never playing before. It's a true story. Or five hours a day, every single day, teaching myself how to do the Cisco Learning Academy at home before the class on Wednesday so that I can make sure I soak up all the information because I told myself if and when I learned this, it would change my life. And so from that point on, I just dedicated my entire existence to being able to learn the in and outs of Cisco Networking Academy or Cisco Networking so I can pass this test, which would then allow me to move to California. And it was the same thing with the ads. I was going through this eight-hour boot camp and then applying what I learned so that I would then be able to attract the people and use the internet to then be able to get people who I've never, ever met, almost 300 people, enough to pay 20-something dollars per person to come out to this event that did not exist before I did it. Like, there's a method to the madness. Like, you put the work in, and it's hours on end that you have to dedicate to it. You take it seriously, and then you follow through. And so um, that's what I was able to do to get to this point. Throughout the burnout, I was like, yo, one of the things that burned me out was I was doing all of this by myself. And I do have a tendency to try to take on too much. You know, growing up, I grew up, I was extremely independent. Like, it was really just kind of me just trying to figure things out. And so um, I was like, I can't keep doing that. So I was like, yo, I need a platform. I was like, I need like an application that will allow me to basically build an event in multiple cities simultaneously, but then keep the same number of users on the platform. That way I don't got to keep going and building up the user base from zero every single time. So like, yo, that sounds like a web app or an application. So I'm like, okay, cool. Looks like I need to learn software development somewhere in there so I can build an app that will allow me to do that. And I was like, yo, like, why are all these business owners like loving me so much? It's not that they're loving the event. What they're loving is like Jeff is looking like a money cloud walking in because I got 200 plus people every single time I do an event that's walking with me into their business to patronize them. So it's like, yo, all they want is the guaranteed people. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is, you know, the burnout period. So it's like, okay, cool. If I'm going to do it better next time, let's figure out a way to do multiple events that make you $5,000 a day, multiple times per day in multiple cities across the country. And now, now we got a big idea. And I was like, the people, they just want the value from the brands, whether it's free drinks or whether it's a fun environment, whether it's something like that. So there's value on that end. And on the other end, the businesses really just want the people guaranteed going to be there. And so throughout the 11 months, I started writing down notes after notes and I'm researching into like multi-sided markets and all this stuff. Because whenever it came time for me to get back to it, I wasn't doing more efficiently and more effectively. And I had to build every event from the ground up. And so that burnout period, I turned it into like productivity, even though I wasn't able to physically go out and do something because like I promise you, like I would get nauseous just thinking about it. And so I'm a huge believer in like uh, everything that happens, right? Like it's all about how we basically respond to it. So you can get knocked down. You got two decisions. Either you're going to stay down, later, feel sorry for yourself. Maybe it really hurt. Okay, cool. Or you're going to take the hit, but like, dang, I see that coming, you know, get up and keep going. So. I equate most things in my life to like a video game. And what I mean by that is like a boss fight. Imagine like if you're playing Mario and it's like the like the last fight and you're going against, let's say, Bowser. And then like he has like this sword move that kills you and you die and you go back in and then now you know to dodge the sword move. But then he does like a flame breath, which you didn't see coming. And you die on that one and you go back and then after, let's say, 10 to 12 attempts. You know, to dodge the sword, move left on the fire, jump whenever he stomps on that stuff, and you beat the boss, and it looks easy to a person just walking to the room and see you beat it, but I'm like, no, you didn't took all of those L's, which is lessons, uh, the entire time to get to that point. And so that's the same thing with like but, doing the first. No, it's the same thing. And I'm just gonna say really quick, the burnout is very real, but also what you just um narrated is so very real too, because I feel like that really resonated with me talking about like it's so easy for somebody to walk into a room and see you making all these moves and doing all these things and they'd be like it looks easy because we make it look easy because when you're doing those things and you're an early adopter and you're you're moving and shaking and you're doing 1001 things under the sun and even with burnout and then when you bounce back from burnout when you're doing all of those things it literally looks easy to the next person and when people see that and see that wow well, you said you was burnt out, or maybe you didn't say it, but in so many words you said it, and then you're back now. That's what people see. What people see is only our exterior. So I think that's so important because not only are you doing a lot, and, and a lot, once again, is an understatement, but um, I think that that really hit home for me when it's like people can see it on the outward end, 
and easily look at it and be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I could do that or that looks whatever or that it's just the same as anything else that any of us look at and they'd be like, wow, you made that look easy. That's the whole point is that I didn't make it look easy intentionally, but it looks easy because you're not the one doing it. Mm. And, and and that's really real. That, that's a huge piece of, of moving and shaking and, and, and making these entrepreneurial moves and making these decisions and, and, and taking these risks. Um, that's a huge part of it for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Like you spoke on it like very eloquently. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> What can I say? I'm an eloquent bitch. You know, all we can cover on this. I've been over here moving around the words because I got to probably make something. No, no, you, you, you said it so well. And I just had to, like, as I was hearing what you were saying, I was like, no, that truly hits home for me because it really means something. And, and, and it says a lot because I think what that carries on to later is that when people think, um, more than or lesser than of a move that that uh you know a, uh, someone side by side of them is making i think sometimes people think oh that's easy and then sometimes they think like oh that's hard but i think it's neither i think it's more about like well, where you are with it where is that person with it that person that has that insight and that person that has that uh overview uh, it really depends. It really depends on all of us because just as you're saying and has you, how you've been telling your story and and really um, just really giving it a really good overview of everything, it really depends on where you are. So one person is always different from the next. But then on top of that, um, the next person that's looking in our windows, they're also very different from the next. So we don't know if, if 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 our counterparts, if our you know our age cohort, uh, our colleagues, whoever, we never know how they're viewing things, and it could be one way or the other. It could be that they view it as wow, this person is doing a lot, or they could be like wow, that's easy, I could do this too. It doesn't really matter though, because at the end of the day, they're not doing it. So. Um, whatever direction or whatever extreme that they perceive it at, um, it really doesn't matter as much as I know that those different perspectives are out there. And I do think that you touched on something that was really important. It's just like when you're not doing it, um, there's a lot of different angles that people could see it at. But but when you are doing it, you're living it. It is it is it is your life, and and that's very real. It's very real. It's very important, and it. And I mean, I think it's, I think it's actually quite amazing because, um, a lot of people aren't doing it. So kudos to you. <laughs> no, it's honestly kudos to everybody. So like, uh, I'll take it a step back and the power of perspective is everything. Perspective, persistence. Um, those are two keys to success right there. People say, what's the key to success? Really is persistence is probably number one. If you could persist long enough through all of the failures, through all of the L's you've taken, but those L's, you make them be lessons. And you just, you take an L, you learn, you grow, you learn, you grow, you grow, you grow. Like you will get the success with just the persistence part. Perspective could more than likely allow you to uh, get there faster because now you can start being like, okay, cool. Maybe I took this L, which I learned from, but then what's the actual lesson for why I'm losing or why I'm doing X, Y, Z. So perspective on things and being able to put like a positive thought onto something that's seemingly negative, like my growing up, for instance, like a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? I didn't dive into it on purpose because this is more of an uplifting thing. But a lot of people looking out who know me is like, dang, man, you had it so hard. Like, how did you do it? To me, I'm like, bro, that was a gift. It's a gift and a curse. It's a curse that I went and went through. But the gift comes from I became so much more resilient. I became so much more able to think fast and on my feet. I actually had to dive into like being able to like read people in situations and like my core and my foundation was built more like stone and not like paper where like you know you can compare me to somebody who was born with a silver spoon in their mouth they might have maybe financial resources from the start that help them get to xyz but like a lot of these people once they get like a fit of adversity or they let's say they get told no or they lose a, a big battle in business whatever it is like they gonna feel like that was the worst thing that ever happened to them in life and maybe they're 35 when it happens bro i've been having the worst thing that could ever happen to me in my life from the age of five and up so like if and when I get to those points that are hard, quote unquote, 
bro, that's easy to me. Like, and so the more success I get, the harder it becomes to knock me off my pedestal to where now you're dealing with someone who's building up a foundation that's concrete with every step that I go is elevated strong compared to somebody who maybe don't got that foundation. So if you look at me and be like, dang, man, that was rough what you went through. I'm like, y'all thankful for it. <laughs> because like, I literally could be tossed in any place in the world right now with just me <laughs> and an able body and mind. And I would li literally uh, become successful and it won't take long. And then the more I learn, the more I grow, right? And um, on the flip side of that too, uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of like practice what you preach. But then also, I want my story to be like inspiration to someone else who's listening or to someone else who's watching. And every person I come into contact with, I literally will strive to like motivate them in some capacity, or inspire them in some capacity, or learn from them if I can, because I learn from every person I talk to, and then to try to give back the knowledge that I've gained from a 14 year old or an 80 year old or anyone in between to that person and every person who I encounter. So I, right, I really, hyperhidrosis, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, you said you never don't, you, know, you was like, I don't come across words that I don't know. So yeah, hyperhidrosis, there you go. <laughs> you yeah, know? You gotta learn. <laughs> <laughs> Facts, that's what I was able to teach you. So there you go, expand my vocab one time. Right, yeah. So, um, so where are we at with your timeline now? Timeline, I'm looking like it's 50 minutes in. Um, yeah, uh, so we have, we, have, uh, <laughs> nine, we have nine minutes until this particular one times out. But like you said, we could always do a part two, so it's no pressure at all. So let's just start where, um, let's pick up off of where uh, you were last at and what you want to continue to talk about for nine more minutes. I love it. Okay, cool. So um, the part of the story was um, I hit this burnout period after I did like seven events in five months after moving to L.A. Uh, from Kansas City. So I got certified, moved to L.A. for the job for Boeing. I'm working at Boeing. I'm actually killing at Boeing. Um, but at the same time, I'm doing these events, right? Pokemon Go Bar Crawl led me to do five events. And then now I got burned out because my expectation was too high. Throughout the burnout period, two things happened. I actually get promoted twice at Boeing within the 11 months that I'm not doing entrepreneurship. Which is hilarious. <laughs> it's like my Boeing career is like just starts to take off at that point in time. But then I also plan out how I'm going to attack um, my next steps going into the entrepreneurship route, which is these gaming themed events. I need to build a platform. I need to find a way to basically take it to where whenever I build up all of the customers on one end, I can house them in a place that I can then start divvying them, divvying them up between the brands I'm working with. I have like nine or 10 brand partners uh, that I've been working with on uh, at this point in time, with Dave and Buster's being the most consistent one. And so 11 months um, goes by and I get back into it. And one day I wake up and the spark is back. You know, I'm two promotions up. I'm making more money. You know, I've been living like the best five years of my life in a row <laughs> Like, ever since I fucking made the decision to go. Like, it's, it's really crazy, like, living on a rocket ship, and it hasn't stopped yet. Like, that is so fortunate. That's very fortunate. I'm I'm, I'm excited for you. It's fortunate. It feel like a lot of hard work, and it just feel like I'm just not going to stop. Uh, but, it all, you know, it all came at the tail end of me um, having full faith and confidence in everything that I do, and just moving forward through it, and just understanding, like, no matter what happens, I'm going to figure it out. And then I trust in my mind. I trust in my body and I've had some really dope people that I've met along the way um, that kind of helped me to continue moving forward. Uh, I will credit that. Um, burnout's ending. Um, I'm doing a, an, a, an event finally in like January, let's call it January of 2017 uh, or 2018 uh, with Dave & Buster. And I switched from doing uh, like bar call events and like Halloween events to I started doing like video game competitions on side of Dave and Buster's, and I promise you, this is before the esports movement hit um, the North America. They've been doing esports, which is like video game competition for money, in like um, Europe and Asia for like seven or eight years before this, but it hadn't reached America yet. And so, literally, bro, I'm like a I'm like a pioneer of a lot of stuff. Like I was plotting out DoorDash back in Kansas City, my sister before DoorDash and Instacart was even a thing. I just I literally see things before they come, and so I started paying kids to come out and compete for money at Dave & Buster's on site um, in like the very early uh, stages, like 2016, 2017. And so I started leaning heavily into like this esports route because it was like rinse, wash, repeat. We would get a hundred kids to come out. They'll pay like 15 to $25 for their ticket. And then it would be, let's say, um, of course, like five hours, the winner will win like 500 to a thousand bucks. So we started doing that once a week in January of that year. And then it ramped up after like three months to we're doing like 
two days a week at the same location. It was like, um, what was it? Do, 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 do. It was Super Smash Brothers, and then we was doing like a, um, it was Super Smash Brothers, I think Tekken. Boom, boom. So Tuesdays of Smash. I Wednesdays. love Tekken. Can I just say, I love uh-huh. Tekken, and most people do not, like when I say Tekken, most people do not even, they'd be like, what? If it's not Street Fighter, I don't know it. When I tell you I'm a Tekken <laughs> from Tekken 1, from PlayStation Ooh, 1. OG, but yeah, OG. go ahead. <laughs> Take it, OG. Hey, yo, come out to one of my events then. Uh, let's uh, put your money where your mouth is and see what you got. I mean, I got you. Because <laughs> I got multiple players. I know the actual moves. I'm not just like a button Ooh. smasher. I know these things. Okay. Like, literally, the pastime for my father and I, we play Tekken and Gran Turismo. So the next time you challenge me, you better make sure your money is where your mouth is because I knows this. I knows this very well. You had me but a butter. You had me a butter masher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm doing two events in Dave and Buster's now, um, and so these events are making like three thousand dollars every event so i'm over here doing an event two days a week making five thousand to six thousand dollars and the kids are loving it like they literally come out every single week and they put their money up and then they try to win and so it was like this pro amateur esports route that i was doing and i think like six months later like there's like headlines that like esports takes over america in 2016 and now like league of legends world championships coming all this stuff and i'm like of course it does uh, but it's all good so i keep working the esports route and then so that kind of leads me into um I did this for three years. So after three years, I'm up to three different locations, all day bush locations, uh, three events a week. Um, in November of 2019, hits, and then um, I actually go into a conversation with the regional manager of David Buster's Marketing, and then they get their executives who are going to be in town. I meet them at the W Hotel, and they're like, "Yo, we love where gaming's going. We love what you've been able to do at David Buster's." We would like to talk about expanding um, our relationship with you into like more of like a national capacity. And I'm like, oh, for sure. That only makes sense for y'all. You know, I got this saying too. It's so funny. Whenever anyone meets me or if I'm about to meet someone, like no matter if it's like uh, Kevin Garnett, who I've had the opportunity to meet recently or any of these like millionaires or billionaire people now, um, it's almost like, oh, yo, you about to meet KG today. And in my mind, and I, in my mind, I said out loud, I'm like, no, nah, like he about to meet me. Like, and I really carry the energy, like, yo, like, I'm so excited for people to get introduced to Jeff Ivory. It's not the other way around. Like, they should be thankful, and they are thankful when they do get the chance. And so, anyways, all of these execs come in, and they're sitting there, and then I'm just going off on a tangent. I'm like, yo, I'm glad that you guys could see that you, there's an opportunity here. And I sell them on this vision for, like, cloud gaming and mobile gaming being the future. This is 2019, so now we're getting closer to current times. Um, I was like, yo, let's convert the arcade into, like, a cloud arcade. And then let's embrace like the ride of mobile games because like mm-hmm. as much as we have all these kids coming out the overhead of having all the equipment is like too much and so it's much easier to have them bring their own nintendo switch super smash brothers or to bring like their own phone pubg call of duty mobile and then let's really take advantage of like the large arcade space you got and so anyways i go on this thing and all of them are sitting there <laughs> nine white men pot belly eyes wide open looking at this like tall <laughs> Fucking dread, six foot five black dude talking about like the future of gaming and technology, they of Buster. And then all of it, they're like, yes. And I'm like, yes, what? They're like, we're in on all of it. And it's really funny. Like, anytime I get to going, everyone gives me the same answer. It's like, it's like an overarching yes. Like, everything you just said, yeah. Or it's like, here's the keys to the, <laughs> here's the, keys to the kingdom. And we maybe don't know everything you said, but we know that we want you to take us down that route. And so David Buster was like, yeah, let's do it. That was November 2019. They had over 130 locations nationwide. They're like all in. They were going to put these gigantic screens into their locations and really embrace gaming. And then um, it was a national partnership with over 100 locations. So if you can do the math, imagine I was making uh, $3,000 per event each day at one location. They wanted to give me 100 locations five days a week. <laughs> 100 locations five days a week where I could have an average of 100 to 200 kids come out. And so I'm going to have to um, raise a lot of money. Not a lot of money, raise money to be able to execute on this. And so that was the the part I was going towards. And then COVID-19 actually hit two months after that national partnership was secured and they put it on pending. And so right instead of me uh, soaking again, because that things happened right, quote unquote, oh my God, national partnership now is in the area, you know what's going to happen. I literally took the first three months of the pandemic and sat down and taught myself how to code because I knew I had to add a technology component to 
um, my company's offering uh, that would be COVID proof, so to speak, or just in general represent the uh, evolution for uh, where I was going to take my company. And Wait, so, but you taught yourself how to code, and we yeah. only have 30 seconds. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. you taught yourself how to code. That is crazy. It took me three um, five hours a day, every single day. Um, I created a company, Gamer Society. I'm the founder of it. And uh, we basically leverage national esports, and we allow gamers to earn tangible prizes for playing video games from home across any gaming platform they want to play on. And so, Awesome. So we're gonna do a part two because uh, it's gonna end in five, four, three, two, one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me.